Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Hello again, and welcome to My 70s TV Childhood, a podcast which is dedicated to remembering what it was like to grow up as a child in 1970s Britain, and the central part that TV played in our lives. This is our 25th episode, so thanks for being with us, and they said it wouldn't last. We now have listeners in 36 countries across the world, for which I'm very grateful. If you are listening outside of the UK, I'm especially happy to have you here with us. If you're enjoying the show, wherever you're listening, you can support us by signing up to one of our memberships at www.patreon.com forward slash Oliver Colling, where you'll find more details of our Tufty Club and Blue Peter Badge memberships. Now, I've always been an animal lover. My wife and I have currently got two cats and have got another kitten on the way to join us in April. I think that the UK population in general have got a real affinity with our friends in the animal kingdom. And it's no coincidence that we've got the highest rates of pet ownership in the world. Our pets are our friends, provide companionship, give us someone to talk to, and usually they repay our love with affection of their own. Apart from a brief period in my late teens and early 20s, I've always had animals in my life, and that's equally true as when I was growing up as a small child in the 1970s. As regular listeners will know, I started my life in Padgate, which was then a small village on the outskirts of Warrington, where my father was the local vicar. We lived in a Victorian vicarage with a big garden, and there was a succession of wildlife to be seen all year round, ranging from hooting owls in the trees to stoats and weasels silently slinking their way in and out. There were also a number of pets, starting with Flopsy the Rabbit and Henrietta, who was, well, a hen, obviously. Now, I don't remember where Flopsy came from, but she was a very pretty black and white rabbit who lived outside in a hutch in the old stable block as rabbits tended to do in the 1970s. And we used to go into the stable and let her out to run around. My mother felt sorry for Flopsy, as she was a bit of a soft touch with animals, and she thought it was cruel for her to be kept in a hutch, so she let her run free for long periods during the day. Now, this was very far-sighted in terms of animal treatment. I mean... Now, rabbits tend to have long runs and lots of space to exercise. But then, it was the hutch or nothing. So, well done to my mother on the one hand. On the other hand, Flopsy really enjoyed her freedom. And, not having the homing instincts of a carrier pigeon, used to run off and join the wild rabbits who resided in their thousands on what was an old RAF base on the other side of the village. She was a very distinctive-looking rabbit, being black and white compared to the brown of the wild rabbits, and also very domesticated. So, on a number of occasions, my father managed to find her, 
pick her up and bring her home, where she would sit brooding in her hutch, dreaming of her wild rabbit friends until the next chance of escape came along, which she would take readily. After about six successful escape attempts, my parents gave up trying to bring her back, and Flopsy was left to run wild with her friends on the RAF camp. At least, that's what they told me and my sister. You don't think something else might have happened, do you? Surely not. I think that really was what happened, as it would take some effort to stage her escape half a dozen times before letting her go finally, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Hmm. Anyway, Henrietta the hen was an old, rather bad-tempered hen, which my mother found clucking on the doorstep early one morning on a cold winter's day. She again lived in the old stable, and clucked her way around the garden, pecking at anything which looked like food, and pecking at anyone who got in her way. One of my mother's friends, who was a farmer's wife, laughed when my mother said she was hopeful of some eggs. In the way that some farmers are, she laughed and then said to us, you'd be better off wringing that bird's neck and sticking it in the pot for dinner. But my mother, again a bit of a softy, persevered, and a couple of months later, on Easter Sunday, Henrietta laid her first egg, and continued to do so regularly thereafter. As I said, she was an old hen, so it wasn't particularly surprising when we found her dead on the doorstep one day during a very cold spell of weather. It seemed like she'd frozen to death. My sister and I insisted that Henrietta be buried, so my father dug a small hole next to the churchyard wall and buried her whilst my sister and I held our own funeral service. We enjoyed it so much that whenever a dead creature was found by one of us in the garden, my father had to get his shovel out and find time for yet another animal burial and funeral. Over a few years... A collection of birds, mice, even a large owl was subject to our burial rites. And thankfully, there was plenty of room for new graves in the garden. Apart from trying to keep ladybirds and another of other insects in matchboxes, which patently wasn't a good idea, we also went through a number of goldfish. Now, I don't want to shock any of our younger listeners, but once a year... The fair came to Padgate at the time of Padgate Walking Day, and one of the most popular prizes on offer were live goldfish in a plastic bag. I know it sounds very cruel and unpleasant, but we didn't know any better then. As an aside, for those who, who don't know, walking days are a tradition in parts of the northwest where groups of churches walk through towns and villages as, well, I suppose, a walk of witness. Traditionally, these walks were a local holiday, and certainly in Warrington, it also meant that Silcox Fair came to town. As a child, that was very exciting, particularly as one of the traditions was that people watching those walking during the day would give money to the walkers, which then invariably got spent on the fair. Anyway, my parents would always make sure that my sister and I both had a goldfish to bring home with us from the fair and they would go into a bowl in the kitchen where they swam around for a while. Often, I'm afraid they would expire within a day or two, but I do remember one of my sisters living for several years. It was also at Padgate that we first had a cat, Tibby, 
who was a stray adopted by the family once my parents had discovered that my sister and I had been secretly feeding her. She settled in very well and had two lots of kittens before eventually being neutered. Today, we're well aware of how many unwanted cats there are in the world, so neutering is taken far more seriously. But back then, it was considered good for the cat for her to have some kittens before being neutered. At one stage, we had seven or eight cats running around the garden, which was great, before some of them went off to good homes and others went to the RSPCA. Even though I must have been no older than five, I can still remember the trip taking the remaining kittens to the RSPCA. It was a cold, harsh, rather sad place, and despite my parents saying it was for the best, I knew somehow that those kittens were not likely to leave that place. I'm so pleased that our attitudes have changed for the better now, and we've got more organisations who will never resort to putting down healthy animals. Anyway, sorry about that. That's got a bit serious, hasn't it? Well, I suppose that part of growing up is gaining a greater understanding of animals and how we as humans coexist. Looking back at previous episodes of this podcast, it's clear how popular animals were from some of the memories that listeners have discussed. Do you remember Carol in our episode, Blow, Blow the Lightning Tree? From the age of sort of, uh, I would think about seven or eight, I was obsessed with horses. Hmm. So things, and I, I was talking to my husband about it actually the other night, and and I wonder if my obsession at that time was because we didn't have any. I can't remember <laughs> seeing a horse in real life until I went to boarding school at the age of 11. So from sort of seven to 11, anything horsey, was a complete obsession for me. So I loved things like Follyfoot is one that I remember. Oh, yes. And mainly because of the cruelty involved in that programme, I think. Mm. And I couldn't conceive of these beautiful creatures and and them being treated so badly by humans. You know, I couldn't understand how a human being would do that. So wanting to kind of... I don't know, make things better in a way. When I was 11, then uh, being able to ride and and joining a stable and and looking after a horse and that kind of thing. And the other key thing was Black Beauty for me because it was, I mean, it was, again, I'm sure iconic for a lot of people of our age. Um, You know, that again, that theme tune was so Mm. exciting. You know, when you heard that, I can remember the hairs on the back of my neck standing up, you know, that, this beautiful horse in the opening scene just galloping through fields. And, yeah, so they were my obsessions. Horses, um, definitely. Horses also featured when listener Ross remembered one of his favourite TV theme tunes. The White Horses was very similar as well. And I was very captured by the theme music, uh, as I think many people were. Many people can recite, you know, the, the theme tune. Oh, that's lovely, lovely memories. And the uh, yes, the theme tune to White Horses, I remember that very well. La, 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 da, 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 da. De, de, de. I've no idea what happened in any of the episodes. No, I, I know none of the storylines. Um, I, I can picture the girl and her uncle who, who ran the stud farm. I did, I did pull out the lyrics though to White Horses. If you want to, if you want to hear those, because these will, these will take you back. Uh, Absolutely. 
and, and, and you'll hear the theme tune in your head as I'm saying them. <laughs> Hopefully, on white horses, let me ride away to my world of dreams so far away. Let me run to the sun. <laughs> so when I can only see the grey of a sad and very lonely day, that's when I softly sigh. On white horses, snowy white horses, let me ride away. It's great. That's brilliant. Ross also had very fond memories of a boy and his dog, Bell and Sebastian. Bell was a big, fluffy white dog as well, which I remember from from my time in my parents' living room. We had this really fluffy, white, probably in the 70s, polyester-type fake fur rug. And so every time I saw Bell appearing on the on, on the on the screen, I would kind of like jump on the rug, and it would like be giving Bell a good hug, you know. So there was that oh. immediate immediate visceral connection with the. Oh, that's a lovely memory. A lovely memory. <laughs> and on a smaller scale, our listener George remembered a very talented group of animal performers. And another early one that I really liked was Tales from the Riverbank. Ah, Tales from the River. Now, what I I only vaguely remember that. That was that the one where they had live animals. Yeah, they had like yeah. They had, I think they had a rat and a hamster, and they, I mean, God knows how they got them to stay in the boats they had in, but they had them like zipping up and down some waterway, That's um, right. having larks. And I remember liking that quite quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, that, that that was charming. I do remember that. I do remember that Nave mentioned it. Tales from the Riverbank was narrated by Johnny Morris, a man who holds a special place in many of our listeners' memories. His narration brought the tales of Hammy the Hamster, Roderick the Rat, and GP the Guinea Pig to life in a charming and engaging way. Once again, it looks very odd to us today that a children's programme was filmed using real live animals, but it was made a long time ago, and I'm sure we've learned much more about how to treat animals better in the meantime. And part of that education is down to Johnny Morris himself. Johnny was best known to most of us as a presenter of Animal Magic, the BBC's long-running zoological theme programme, which ran from 1962 until 1983 and was filmed by the BBC's acclaimed Natural History Unit in Bristol. Johnny's great talent was to explain the world and the behaviour of animals by giving a voice to the animals themselves. Much of the outdoor shot parts of the programme were filmed at Bristol Zoo, where he played a character, Keeper Morris, who would engage with all the different animals, and he would provide comic voices for them. These dialogues were generally witty, but more importantly, educational, and I and a lot of my contemporaries learned a great deal about animals through the show. In the studio-based segments, Johnny used to meet lots of unusual animals, often accompanied by a ring-tailed lemur called Dotty, and in later years by the naturalist Terry Nutkins, who then carried on the zoological children's programming on the BBC with the Really Wild show in the 1980s and 90s, and who often paid tribute to Johnny Morris as a great influence on his life. Johnny Morris was, so the story goes, discovered by a BBC producer in a pub in Bristol just after the war, 
who heard him telling stories to a group of friends, so signed him up to be a radio presenter. Having worked on local radio for some time, he got his breakthrough on television as the Hot Chestnut Man in a series of short films where he would tell a country tale, usually with a strong moral. This in turn led on to Tales of the Riverbank and ultimately to Animal Magic. I think the thing I remember most about Johnny Morris is his voice. It made you want to listen to whatever tale he was telling. And when you heard the animals talking to each other, you really felt like he'd got their personalities to a T. He was, more than anything else, a storyteller, just as he was when discovered in that Bristol pub. And that's why we listened and learned with him. Incidentally, do any of you listening remember Dial a Story? This was a telephone service run by the post office where you could dial 150 or some similar number and listen to Johnny Morris reading a bedtime story. Oh, I can already see some of our younger listeners don't believe that this service existed. Well, well, it did, as did another service called Dial-A-Disc where, believe it or not, you could dial a number and listen to a particular single from the charts. Oh, you don't believe that either? Well, never mind. Eventually, however, time caught up with Animal Magic, and it was unceremoniously axed in 1983, something which apparently caused great distress to Johnny Morris himself. The powers that be high up in the BBC decided that the anthropomorphic nature of Animal Magic was anachronistic, and that 80s kids wouldn't relate to an old bloke giving animals silly voices, and that somehow it was demeaning to animals. I think it was anything but that. And for me and many others of my generation, Johnny Morris introduced us to all kinds of interesting animals and greatly advanced our understanding of the animal world. To make matters worse, BBC managers destroyed almost all of the archive editions of Animal Magic on the grounds that no one would be interested in such an outdated and irreverent approach to natural history programming. Johnny Morris died in 1999, at the age of 82, but I'm sure that wherever he is now, he will have had a little smile when his theme tune was used to introduce the satirical programme W1A, which lampooned just the sort of smug, superior, patronising and wrong-headed attitudes held by senior BBC staff, which ultimately did for Animal Magic. Did you like animal magic? And what pets did you have when you were growing up? Let me know by joining in the conversation on our blog, www.my70stvchildhood.com, tweet at 70stvchildhood, or email me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. I should have said earlier, but I'm recording this episode with a large black and white cat sleeping at my feet, 
So my experience of animals continues to be a positive one, as I hope yours is too. That's all for now. Take care and join me again soon for more from my 70s TV childhood.